Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Uh, There's a quote that's usually attributed to St. Francis Assisi. It goes like this, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words which I kind of like. I like that. St. Frank does an okay job, but I prefer this. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use food. I think there is something powerful about food. There is, it is the great equalizer of all human beings. We all have to eat. Food is precious to us. Food tells a story. If you want to get to know a culture, a people, if you want to get to know another person, ask them about their food. If you want to get to know somebody, yeah, you could go out to dinner with them. That's one way of getting to know somebody. But if somebody invites you to their home and they cook for you, you are getting to know somebody on a level that I think words tend to fail. My mom is Korean. Although our relationship is broken and we're estranged, estranged, I deeply desire to know my Korean side. And and if we're going to kind of dive deep into Korean culture, you can't do that without diving into the food. When I was in Portland, I got to know a couple other Korean pastors, and we would get together, and we would talk about our families, and we would talk about, you know, kind of the odd ways that sometimes Korean parents show or don't show their love. It's a little rare for Korean parents, I think, in the circles and and the people that we were talking to, for Korean parents to say the words, I love you. But as I was talking with one Korean pastor, her name was Insil, as I was sharing some of my stories, she paused and she goes, oh, wait a second, have you eaten yet today? And we paused and the two of us looked at each other, there was a connection, and we laughed Because even though sometimes Asian families have a hard time saying, I love you, they do say to each other, have you eaten? And if an Asian person asks you, have you eaten? They're telling you, I love you. And so uh, this little group of Korean pastors and I, we would get together and we would greet each other with a have you eaten? And then we would say goodbye to each other with eat well. And so... If you've received an email from me, you see that I sign it, peace to your soul and eat well. I do mean that. Food is deeply embedded in culture, and if you want to get to know somebody, get to know family, you got to get to know their food. But food also, like so many things that can bring us close together, food can also be a thing that really divides and makes us feel ostracized, makes us feel like an outsider. Have you ever been to a restaurant where you can't read the menu and you don't know what to order. The only way you're going to feel like you belong or that you fit in is if you have a friend and a guide, somebody that knows the language, somebody that can order for you. And when you have a friend or guide that brings you into that food and that culture, you feel like you can experience a new community. You can be a part of something that you were not once a part of. But without a friend, without any sort of translator, without a guide, 
then you can feel quickly like a fish out of water. You can quickly feel like you don't belong. Food can bring people together, but food can also ostracize and make outsiders. Through the summer, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul is addressing a community of Christians that's supposed to be a community gathered together by the love of God to transform the world with the love of God. But this family, this community, they're all at each other's throats. They're all fighting over status, over who's better than who, over who has the better spiritual gifts, over who's wiser than who. They are fighting and destroying one another. And so Paul writes this letter to set up for them a new way of living. Paul does address each and individual problems as they rise up, people taking each other to court, people honoring a guy in an incestuous relationship, people going to prostitutes, people doing all sorts of different things. But in the sermon series, we're not going kind of tack for tack every issue We're looking at what Paul is setting up, a framework for Christian ethics, a framework that has three focal points, an attitude like that of Christ Jesus, care for the community, and hope of what the world is going to look like. These three focal points define for them and for us how Christians should live having the attitude of Christ who makes himself low for the sake of others, caring for the community, making sure that I don't place my needs or desires above the needs of the community, and the vision of a world made right, where, as the book of Revelation says, as the book of Isaiah says, there is no hunger, no thirst. People will build their homes and live in them. There will be no mourning, no weeping, and even no death. How do we proclaim a world like that? By ending hunger now, by ending thirst now, by drying tears now. These three things create what we should do, how we should act as Christians. Now, the, now the Corinthians, they have a real big problem. They have a real big problem. Many of them became a part of this community because they couldn't get into other communities. They couldn't get into other guilds. They couldn't get into other groups of people that would elevate their status. Here was the church saying, all belong. Everybody is welcome because God loves everybody. Even more than that, Paul had this message that God doesn't demand actions out of you. The good work of God in Christ actually sets you free. The Christian life really begins when you realize that there is nothing you have to do to earn the love of the creator of the universe. There is nothing you have to do. You have been set free. You can imagine why this was such, a, such an attractive community. I think the church today could probably you know, take, take a note out of Paul's book and instead of lumping onto society all these restrictions and regulations and rules, with so many people know Christians for our rules, we should probably get back to the basics and let people know that there is nothing you have to do to be loved by God. 
The early Christians, they got this and they were attracted to it. And you see all through the New Testament, Jesus says that whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. In Galatians, Jesus, or, um, in Galatians, Paul says that it is for freedom that we have been set free. In uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christians, you have been set free, and there is nothing that you have to do to earn God's love, to be a part of this community. You are free. So that means we can do whatever we want, right? Nah, not quite. <laughs> Freedom doesn't mean you get to just do whatever you want. Yes, you are free, but freedom in God's love, in God's world, might mean a little something different. In the early church, as they were exploring what we do with this freedom, the early church was trying to say, well, there are some things that we should do. There are some things that we, there are some boundaries that we should live by. Many of the early Christians were not Jewish. They were converts to Christianity. And as they were converted, all the earliest Christians were Jewish, and so they were following all the Jewish laws. And as these Gentile or Greek Christians were being converted, they were like, well, what does God want from us? And they go through the book. The Old Testament is the book. That's what they had. And as they start reading along, they're like, oh, okay, no meat sacrifice to idols, okay. No pork, ooh, okay, for God, I'll make that exception. Uh, what's this circumcision thing? Oh, no. <laughs> and as you can imagine, it's kind of a big deal. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask, what your, ask your parents later, okay? Any age, ask your parents. Um, and, and so they say, Paul, we got a big problem here. Is it not for freedom that Christ has set us free? Um, do we really have to be circumcised? And it became a big issue. This was for Judaism, what set them apart from all other people. This is how we knew that we were children of the promise, that we were children of Abraham, this outward symbol of an inward grace, circumcision. All these adult converts, men, uh, were saying, ah, but I thought there's nothing we have to do to earn God's love, right? And so a big fight breaks out, and the church comes to a compromise. And they say, yeah, it's too much of a burden to place on new converts that they have to follow all these rules of the Old Testament, that they have to follow everything that happens that we follow from our tradition and from our people. And so, let's set them free. And in Acts chapter 15, you can read that the council came together and said, the Gentile Christians, they don't have to follow all the law of Moses. But, but there is one thing that we should do. We should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. We should not participate in eating meat sacrificed to idols. That was the one boundary, that was the one perimeter that they put on early Christian communities. So, okay. The Gentiles said, great, glad. Not going to get circumcised, but you want me to not eat meat sacrificed to idols? I, I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. Well, Greek culture... The Roman Empire heard about this rule. They heard about this law. And of course, they didn't like these churches sprouting up, telling everybody that they were valued in the eyes of God. That didn't fit the Roman social st structure. 
And so they heard that all Christians were not allowed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, when we think about meat sacrificed to idols, I think sometimes we think like burnt to a crisp, like totally destroyed into ashes. That's not what it meant to sacrifice meat to an idol. It really just meant to cook it, to dedicate it to a god. So you would have a barbecue, you get your ribs out, and you would say, these ribs are dedicated to Artemis, our patron goddess, and then they would have a prayer to Artemis, and then they would eat ribs together. That's what meat sacrifice to idols were. That's what the church said, hey, let's not participate in that. When Roman culture figured out that the church was doing that, Roman culture said, hey, here's a way that we can keep the Christians down. Let's just sacrifice all the meat to gods. So, in the marketplace, they had all the meat, and all the meat was dedicated and prepared specifically for a god. And you could market it, you know? Hey, get your Zeus meat. Hey, get your Ares meat. Get your Aphrodite meat. Get whatever meat you want. And they did it in a way to continue to separate and ostracize the early Christians. So now, the Christians in Corinth weren't even able to eat meat. And then they say to Paul, and go, Paul, buddy, friend, thanks for getting us out of that circumcision deal. Really appreciate that. Hey, about this meat sacrifice to idols thing, look, you know, we know that idols aren't anything, that they don't mean anything to any of us. They are nothing. There are no other gods. So really, what's the harm in us going to the market, buying meat of of Poseidon, and bringing it home, eating it, having a party. What really is the harm in eating this meat that's sacrificed to nothing? Can't we do it? Here's a tricky problem for Paul. Now the early church is starting to dive in, and he says, yes, you're right, you're smart, you're wise, but are you thinking only about yourselves and only about your appetite? Are you not aware that there are people around you who are just dipping their toes into Christianity, who are just kind of learning a little bit of what the community is all about? Are you thinking about them as you exercise your freedom? This is such an important topic that Paul takes three chapters to talk about it. In chapter 8, which Dan read for us, he gives us an introduction to the problem. Yes, you are wise. Yes, you are free. But be careful because knowledge puffs up. Or in the Common English Bible, it says knowledge makes somebody arrogant. But it's love that builds up. Yes, you are operating in your wisdom and your freedom, but are you operating in your love? Are you aware of the way that people are watching you? There are some people who made tremendous sacrifices to break away from these practices, and then they come into the Christian community and you're just doing the same thing. How is that going to be received by them? Are you thinking about outsiders? Chapter 9, Paul goes into, let me, let me talk about myself. Let me talk about the rights that I have, the freedoms that I have as an apostle. 
I am a preacher. I travel from church to church. I have every right to have a family. I have every right to get a pay, get a salary from the church. But I think sometimes those salaries can get in the way of the ministry. It can harm some people. So I lay down my rights for the benefit of others, for people who are just getting to know the Christian community. Paul's a better guy than I am. I'm sorry, I'm going to take my salary. Don't get mad at me. (laughs) Paul is saying, I am happy to lay down my rights for the sake of others. Then in chapter 10, he goes to an Old Testament reference. He says, consider our ancestors. Consider the Israelites traveling in the desert. What was their number one grumble? Food. Food. So they said, God, we're out here in the middle of the desert. You saved us from Egypt, but now we're going to die in the desert. Can we get some bread, please? And God says, that's a reasonable request. We'll get you some bread. When you wake up tomorrow morning, there'll be this stuff on the ground called manna. Gather it up, bake it, and you'll eat every day. The next day, the manna comes. Miracle bread from heaven. Abby just said candy doesn't fall from the sky, but manna does, right? And so the Israelites are eating their bread. But guess what? It's not good enough. Instead, they say, how about some meat, God? Thank you for saving us from Egypt. Thank you for giving us a future and a hope. Thank you for miracle bread every single morning. Um, But we'd really like to have some meat, And Paul goes on to describe that their temptation for meat was leading them to a downfall. And then Paul gives us that verse that so many of us memorized in youth group, that there is no temptation that has seized you that is not common to people, but don't worry, God will never tempt you beyond what you can handle, and God will always provide a way for you to stand up underneath it. That whole verse is just talking about food, people. Did you know that? That's crazy. And so then Paul goes on to say, look, food is not the end all be all, but are you acting in love? If what I eat causes another person to stumble, then I will never eat meat again. And so he says to the Corinthians, whatever you do, are you doing it out of love for others or only out of selfish gain? And therefore, whatever you do, Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you wear, do it for the glory of God. The issue in the early church was that they weren't, that they were putting themselves above the community, that they were not paying attention to what outsiders would do, how they would understand the community. These people were putting themselves first and were not helping people join the feast. It would be like if I invited you to a Korean restaurant, you've never, invite, you've never had Korean food, and I left you hanging. And when the server comes and brings all the banchan in front of us, I don't describe what any of it is, and I just eat in front of you. And when they bring you your dish, I don't tell you how to do it. I don't show you how to use chopsticks. If you can't use chopsticks, I don't ask the server for a fork for you, you white people. <laughs> It would be like me feasting in front of you, and you would feel like an outsider. 
That is what the early church was doing to people who are not yet part of the Christian, of part of the church. Church, what are the things that we do that are inaccessible to outsiders? What are the things that we do for ourselves without a caring and loving eye for people who are not yet a part of our community? Oh, the UMC is real bad about this. The UMC is so bad about this. We give to UMCOR. We have UMVIN mission trips. We have UMYF going on. All these acronyms, people who aren't United Methodists don't know what any of them mean. <laughs> and nothing will make you feel like an outsider quicker than a bunch of acronyms, right? So how do we talk? How do we live and act as a church in a way that is accessible to outsiders, in a way that's accessible and welcoming and loving to people who are not yet part of the community? Boy, it is a fearful and strange and difficult thing to enter into a church for the first time where you don't know anybody, you don't know what's going on, you don't know what to do. And sure, there's a lot of smiling faces, but if you don't know the order of service, if you don't know any of the songs, if you don't know where to sit, you're going to feel like an outsider pretty quickly, pretty quickly. I think this is my sixth week as uh, the pastor here. And did you know that every week but one, we've had a first-time visitor here at the church? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I mean, so it's not out of the question to have 50-plus households visit our church for the first time in this coming year. Imagine how our community would change if we welcomed even half of those first-time visitors to be a full part of the community. Could you imagine how that would change our, our church, our community? That's what these folks are wanting, are asking for. How can I be a part of the community? Now, how does that happen? How do we guide people through the meal together? It takes intentionality. It takes friendship. It takes more than smiling and waving. It takes a plan, right? That's why in two weeks we're having a welcoming team, a welcome team meeting. We're organizing a new welcome team, a new strategy, some new intentionality. What do we do when we see somebody that we haven't seen for the uh, before, and how do we help them be a part of the community, know what's going on? Maybe God is calling you a little bit right now to help in that way, to be a part of that ministry, to help welcome people into the family, to make sure that our church is not going about its business turning a blind eye to people who are looking in. I hope that you join us in a couple of weeks for that meeting right after the service. The early church, Paul was saying, yes, you are free. <laughs> yeah, you're free. Yes, you are wise. Yes, you can do whatever you want. Everything uh, is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Are you paying attention to others, or are you putting your own appetite ahead of others? As the church, as Christians, we exercise our freedom by loving those who are not us. And so, as the church, everything we do, from small group to mission work to worship, must be done 
with love and care for people who are not us. We're going to take a couple of minutes to contemplate and pray and think on these words and think on this message from Paul in 1 Corinthians. I always have a couple of questions that I want you to think about as we go about this. In what ways has the church um, has the church not done this? In what ways has the church put itself above others in its ministry, in its actions? In what ways has the church take care, taken care of itself with a blind eye to others? How is Christian freedom different from the typical ways that we think about freedom? Especially in America, we're real proud of freedom, right? Maybe freedom doesn't mean just do whatever you want. How is Christian freedom different from the typical ways we think about freedom? And then finally, how can we make everything we do at the church an open table where we help people, guide people who are coming in for the first time, learn the ropes, taste the meal, feel a part of the community? How can we make everything we do accessible to those who are not yet a part of our community? Let's take a moment and invite God into the space as we think about these things. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.